blast off. <laughs> Welcome to Paradox 23, exploring the leading edge of consciousness. We're going to have a fun introductory session here. My name is Biagio Stango, and I'm here with Christina Saloy. Christina, I want to ask you a few questions, seeing as you used to have a podcast, come sit at my table. What is the very first thing that ever got you into the studies of consciousness? Oh, <laughs> I like that question. It can be simple or it can be complex. Oh, I guess I'll go the complex route. I don't know. I was a kid. So I was naturally interested in relationship dynamics. And then I had like sort of paranormal stuff start happening when I was a teenager. So that naturally you go looking for answers because no one around you is providing you with the answers that you seek. So thus the journey begins. Mm -hmm. So what type of answers were you looking for? Do you have any one particular thing you can identify as being a very catalytic type of moment in your life that made you start to obsessively just investigate something to its fullest, regardless of what anybody else said? I mean, it was pro. I think I probably had some sort of like. I mean, initially, I'm thinking like the heart centered awakening process that really started happening when I was, interestingly enough, 23. <laughs> yeah, because that's a driving force that when that comes online for you, you don't have control your innate abilities start to come out and you follow your highest excitement. And like, I definitely have like <clears throat> an obsessive component <laughs> to my personality. So like I'll research something to the fullest extent, much like yourself. So would you say what you were doing when you were younger, when you were looking into different types of how the world was built and who was running the world or things of these natures. Do you think that was consciousness studies or your con what, what do you think? Yeah, I was seeking a mirror of something that I was experiencing internally and wasn't finding a representation of in like so, mundane life or like the way everybody else was living and feeling guided by something else on the other side like early on so what was what was something that you just you just started looking into with fervor what's like <laughs> oh do you like, have any like yeah, yeah 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 one thing that can trace all this back um well you know judith my grandmother talked to me about aliens since i was like five years old okay and then uh cryptozoology then more like the david ike stuff okay i think i bought his book when i was like 17 the one with the lion on it yeah that is young i didn't even hear of david ike until 2020 oh no shit well he did come back around yeah um then bashar mm -hmm. and then everything kind of took a hiatus like i was i got more into like um I was th dealing more with, like, mediumship stuff that was happening. Mm -hmm. um, that was coming through really strongly. You know, it's like you process a lot of stuff in the, like, astral realms to work out your belief systems as you're going through the, you know, evolutionary process. So I feel like that's why a lot of like the mediumship stuff was happening and then you and when you say through. mediumship what do you mean do you mean paranormal <clears throat> oh, stuff was yeah like online? yeah like and like how old family member uh oh 16 17 okay. but also stuff before that too okay. but i knew what was happening by the time i was like 16 17 
So. So do you think it was some of the stranger paranormal type stuff that really like cemented like you like having to discover what's going on? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Weird dreams, you know, like just. Do you think weird dreams are a paranormal event? Oh yeah. Okay. I I didn't well, know. I... <laughs> Paradox 23, like, I think that this reality is our dream reality. And when we go to sleep, we go back to more of right. the root of our home, where right. each individual soul stream exactly. originates from. Nobody knows, did an egg happen and then a chicken was birthed and then chickens just started laying eggs? Or did chickens lay eggs and then how did it happen? How did... It's a mystery. It's a paradox. Tiny dino. Now, when you said at a young age your grandmother was talking to you about aliens, what? how old were you? Five? Five, Five? yeah, probably. So you had some type of conscious awareness. Were you scared? Um, yeah, at some points, but I was like, you know, like a moth to a flame. Right, but part of your initial journey into consciousness was, was fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So would you say like in America or maybe just in like, cause we can only kind of talk about America not having a lot more experience right. that a lot of like early on it's, you get taught fear right away when it comes to unknown things related to a larger part of the world. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fear runs the machine. Do you think your parents have fear? Like, do you think there's parents out there that are... They're talking about aliens in a dismissive way, but they're actually really just, they're scared of it because they don't, they sort of think it could be real, but they don't know. Well, yeah, you know, like Janie, <laughs> my mom, she, oh, okay. you know, her whole thing was because she watched Halloween Town, you know, the Disney movie. No, I've never seen it. What? No. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like a family mother daughter grandmother grandmother comes into town grandmother lives in the fantasy real world of halloween town because she's a witch but the mother in that dynamic denies her powers and one day i was standing at the stove with my mom and she's like you know she's like maybe it's like in halloween town like i'm really the powerful one out of all of us but i just deny my powers Mm. You know, because Judith and I were always, you know, on the same page in regards to, like, paranormal stuff, psychic stuff. She would say, oh, I'm psychic, you know. Mm. She would uh, sit, have dreams of people, and then she would read about them in the obituaries. Oh, how about that? Yeah, lots of, like, premonitions, things like that. Interesting. And her and Ron were into, like, um, local like rhode island native american culture and like you know had a lot of antiques and things like that but Mm -hmm. i think that component that was part of their spirituality and they met in aa so like part of the steps you know has a spiritual component right and that's the 12 steps right Mm -hmm. just for our listeners who might be saying part of what steps 12 step program of aaa or Mm -hmm. aa Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah. Narcotics Anonymous? NA? Um, Bill W., founded by Bill W., for those who would like to know. He was uh, integral in that. And in the early institutions of AA, they believed that it was actually um, acceptable to smoke marijuana as a way to help um, get somebody off alcohol. Far more religious doctrine and principles. One that actually many people don't know in AA, in the 12th step program. The fourth step is one where you actually go through this. um, You have to basically admit to another witness who is like, I believe it's a sponsor or a guide or some sort. You have to admit all your wrongdoings that you've done in your life. All the shit. Like, and I mean, like, so. I have a question for you. What's that? (laughs) So what would you say to someone that's like on they're in their awakening process. I mean, everybody is. It's, you know, evolution. But they're at this period where they know they have to make a change in their life for a positive redirection. 
and maybe they've been confronted by a moment that's forced their hand into a choice point, you know? Um, and what if they're scared? Like, I don't know. You've been through a lot in that regard. I don't know how much you want to... Well, in, <laughs> in this regard of the question, it's like somebody has a situation and life provides forces their hand to have to make a decision or act, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And so, essentially, being scared is not really a viable solution to making a decision. It's more just like an emotion based upon decision probabilities. So, if very the very simplest answer is simply to just say like at this point i've done things while being scared and created an outcome where i wasn't pleased with it but whenever i was scared quote unquote but then was like i'm not scared i i got this the outcome was far better because there wasn't this like state of fear in the background operating. So now, in, uh, you know, in my 30s, most of the time, if I feel a little twinge of being like nervous to do something, I simply just understand that that nervousness does not serve me to actually hold on to it while doing it, the process. So a very simple example is, you know, in our day-to-day, -day, you know, life, having to do a business call and do you ever get scared not knowing how's the outcome going to go with this but being able to acknowledge and validate I don't know how the outcome's going to go I have an expectation and I have to acknowledge that this entire situation is out my, outside of my control except for my ability to call the individual and speak my truth and show up and be authentic. And in that essence, I don't have anything to be scared of because trusting mm -hmm. the timing of your life, like we've talked about and we'll talk about on future episodes, is a vitally important component to actually, I guess the term is manifesting the reality of your dreams, but just showing up and being present. You could just simply say it as just showing up and being present. Because if you're not present and there's a bunch of emotions rolling around in there, your presence is in the emotional state, the emotional field. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean emotions don't create presence, but emotions are like presence. They're like a gift. Like here's a present, open it, see what's inside, then use it. You know, energy in motion. Right. For action. It's energy in motion. So going back to the original question, well, if you have to make a big life change yeah. and the universe is just absolutely forcing your hand every single week, something else, it's just forcing your hand. Right. I simply, in my experience, have said, OK, the universe is forcing my hand and I don't understand it. But I have to have action or else I'm going to be a lot unhappier than I am just realizing the universe is forcing my hand. Because in my experience, not acting, I've always been far harder on myself than any time I've acted and have found like either another obstacle or had to turn around and gone back another way and chose a different direction and you know, you've driven with me on different sightseeing events. I'll turn around like it's nothing. <laughs> Three point turn real <laughs> quick. Hold on. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think, I think that when the universe is forcing your hand, that unto itself is a gift that creates presence in you. So I'll talk for a sec about what got me into 
consciousness. Mm Mm-hmm. Please Because it wasn't like yourself where you had this idea of aliens or extraterrestrials. I think the movie The Men in Black. No, Independence Day. Maybe I was like seven, eight, nine years old. I literally, I was like, no, I'm not watching it. I was like in the basement, like with like a pillow over my head. I didn't want to hear Was it family movie night? Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody was watching. I did not want to watch it. I was so scared for some reason. This is very, like, this is like, like I had read a book in the library in fourth or fifth grade about aliens and Sasquatch and ghosts and things. But I had not, um, the any... book that you placed in the library from a future timeline of Biagio. So. I suppose so. <laughs> but see, I didn't actually like in my sort of storyline of my life, I never I never attributed that to being like when I sort of really got involved in consciousness. Mm-hmm. When I got involved in consciousness was when I was in college. And this is like, you have to understand, like I was a huge part of Biagio was very Guido, you know, like, very <laughs> you like, don't say. <laughs> give me the LA express gel, like, and let me spike up my hair and go look, you know, like pretty. And, um, I was not, you know, the summer before college, I was not thinking about aliens or anything i was like how do i look pretty so i can you know meet pretty girls right that was it and i mean and given the area and like um so when i was in college all of a sudden i started realizing like Apparently, like, I could either command an audience or people just wanted to be around me or something. Like... Charisma. I suppose. All I know is, is, like, I thought going to college, I would meet a lot of cool people, you know, because I wasn't, like, like, I had moved in high school and there was no, like, oh, like, I'm super connected and, like, um, know all these people and I'm super cool or any of that. But it was, like, going to college... There's a lot of things going on, but a lot of people were certainly indicating to me, like, you seem like you're really cool. And just every single type of person from, you know, super nerdy to super frat boy, like, wanting to just, like, hang out, come in my room, smoke weed with me, all types of stuff. One day, I specifically remember my roommate um, at the time... He wasn't there. And my friend who became my roommate later, Brett, he, me and him were smoking. And I just, this question arose within my mindscape because like I'm tracing back and doing this sort of mind tracing event of like just thinking about physical objects. And I'm saying, well, we learn in school that Everything's made of atoms. Atoms have electrons, protons, and neutrons. And I'm think and then we learned, you know, if you an electron in comparison to the proton and neutron is so far in the outer ring in a a scale of you the earth, if you had the neutron and proton at a football stadium, the electron would be way out in the parking lot somewhere. So there's like that much space that exists in these things that create physical matter. Now, I literally just came, just was like walking around. I must have said it for an hour before I even could like contain, like get a hold of myself. But I'm like, how does anything physical come from nothing at all? Like at some point there had to be nothing that was physical. So how could physicality even arise unto itself? And I just started saying, how could anything physical come from nothing at all? Like, just like, just like walking around, like looking up, like, just like a babbling idiot almost. Like, 
how could something physical come from nothing at all? Like, like just knowing that there's this, there had to be some type of state of no thing. And then physicality, here we are, we're in physical world. It was, and this is like, like I, let's say I'm 19 or I'm 20 cause I, I stayed back in kindergarten. So I'm a little older. I had not read anything. I had never read a conscious study book. I think maybe when I was in like sixth grade, my dad like made me and my sister Tanina read the seven habits of highly effective people. Of which <laughs> your dad is son. I did not even read it. Oh my god. I didn't read it. I was just like, no, I like I'm read just saying, the like, notes. thinking like that's a Capricorn parent for you. Like <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, you and your sisters are all successful, so there you go. It's just like, I never one time had studied, like, like I hadn't studied philosophy. I did not study religion. I had not studied these principles of things that I later discovered were, you know, like this idea of like, no thing, nothingness. This is not new, you know, like... Hmm. Anything I almost say in this podcast, it'll have a Biagio like, you know, flavor to it or a Biagio color to it. But I can't even believe that I'm saying anything really that's new. It's just this is information that somehow it's it's out there and we have access to it and we get to provide it Mm -hmm. in our unique way based on our experiences, which is what. I believe truly helps other people integrate this stuff into the fabric of their life so it can be applied readily, you know, opposed to... Yeah, real world shit. (laughs) Give me another, you know, book on, you know, how do I get over this pain body or that pain body? Mm. At some point, it's the practice of doing it that is where you find the real method, not just incessantly over overtly listening over and over and over which i would say to any of our listeners you would want to continuously listen until you felt really like that stuff you know was in there and if you had to like listen to it to where when you were confronted with something in your life you heard the words from something you were listening to and it helped guide you great Absolutely great. I would never say anything against it. But at some point, your own experience, even based on how that happens, is going to supersede everything. And that's the integration point in which you start to have a more expansive aspect of self that's more anchored. So part of you is sort of more consolidated while being expansive because you're more anchored into the fabric and foundations of who you are. Your unique experience. Right. And I I mean, that's one of the things I would even tell people. Like, I, if, if I'm over 10 years into a journey of conscious life studies, I would say, you know, looking into what started your journey and going and looking at that route and cultivating it and still it all comes back around yeah yeah it all comes back around stuff now that i did starting when i was 23 and before that right it's weird (laughs) yeah i think our neighbor's home is that a gravel road Does he put the red car in the garage? Don't know. So. What else? What else? <laughs> um, hmm. We didn't really have a specific topic for today. No. Do you like where things have gone so far just for an introductory? Yeah. Is this a fun introductory? Fuck yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
My, you know, what's one of the, the things I can tell our listeners is, so in college, in college, I still was not reading any books or studying consciousness stuff. I just wasn't. I simply, it wasn't because I was choosing not to. I just, I, w- I wasn't even exposed to this idea that there was like, even a lot of content out there based on stuff I was thinking about and and so on and so forth. I kind of was like naive in this regard, which is like, like, oh my God, like all my peers I'm talking to like, like about this, you know, how does anything, you know, physical come from nothing at all? Like, like people are looking at me like I'm nuts and I'm thinking like, what do you mean I'm nuts? Like, do you do you understand the gravity of this question? It's like, um, I have a paper for English 101. Excuse me? No, um, I'm going to go write. Uh, okay. And I'm out there like in the gazebo just like, how is this possible? Trying to like Isn't that think the ultimate business question though? What? How does something come from nothing? business question yeah i mean hopscotching in business you have to look at like the parameters of that question (laughs) to really get to it so we won't get (laughs) deviate too far but i would simply say that the very first exposure of any consciousness thing i ever had somebody was like biagio you nobody talks like you I swear, like, they were going to be mad at me if I didn't, and they just gave me this audio book, and Eckhart, it was Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth. Mm-hmm. And on an, after college, on a drive out to California, because I did an East Coast, West Coast drive, just because um, I wanted to with my cousin, I listened to the audio book. That's the first... Wait, is this when Tony was falling asleep? Yeah, that's why I said <laughs> the irony of... Him liking audiobooks now is because he was so incessantly like, this guy, Eckhart Tolle's voice, it puts me to sleep. I mean, it would just be five minutes in and he would be snoring already. Like, it was kind of funny. It really did put him to sleep. And I bet you that guy's voice puts a lot of people to sleep. Like, he does kind of talk like monotone. Like, um, it's just very, very soft uh, voice. I used to, just as a joke, like, sort of sometimes talk like that. I'd mm-hmm. have to hear his voice to, like, mimic it. I can't get there right now, but it's it's an interesting monotone and pattern, which is very, very still and calm. When did um, you get into Chinese medicine? Well, the funny thing about Chinese medicine, and the reason that you're asking me that question, if our listeners don't know, it's because I actually have a master's degree in classical Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And so one of the funny parts of that question, Mm -hmm. and I just want to explain this because I always find this very, very odd in high school my european friend flo his parents went and sought and saw an acupuncturist in new jersey Mm. and this would have been like 20 years ago or 25 years ago and this is before like acupuncture is even really known much but there were still schools in the united states back at the time um anyway Acupuncture was far bigger in Europe um, at that time. They were like, oh, um, told my dad to go see him for smoking secession, like help him quit smoking, which had helped him. And so I remember thinking acupuncture is this very utilitarian type of like thing. It's very much it's kind of just like um, ear piercing or something like there's a couple points you put in these things, you press these buttons you get a result. <laughs> and I sort of, I remember in high school just thinking, if I really fucking fail at life, 
I'll literally, I'll just be an acupuncturist or a chef. Like those things, I got that under my belt. Like acu, like, like no big deal. And I, I thought like, like, cause, cause I need to have a backup plan for if I failed, because I was kind of the futuristic person who would be like, like I wouldn't study for a test except the morning before. And then I would be like sitting there on the bus, like, well, what happens if I fucking fail? Like, am I going to get in trouble? And I would sit there and all my reasoning would come up with, with that. I could never determine that any one test actually influenced the very, very rest of my life. So for that reason, who even cared anyway? Let's just go have fun and just do it. Because I obviously didn't want to study more. I, 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 could, I could admit to myself I didn't want to study more. So, and in that way, I sort of like just superseded the test anxiety and always performed like really, really well because I was never like a deer in headlights. Like, ah, exam, ah, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, I don't know why I said that. Deer in the headlights? No, no, the whole, I like forgot what were we talking oh, about oh well like, no i was enjoying the journey of test taking biagio i was asking about uh how you get into chinese medicine oh yeah acupuncture, yeah, yeah. acupuncture. so yeah. so it was funny yeah yeah i needed a backup plan of failure because so before i even knew or i was going to college or like like when i started the journey to okay i'll go to college sort of begrudging even like mm-hmm. didn't understand it but knew this is just what you do in this day and age. Like you have to go to college and it was very much told to me, like you basically don't have any job opportunities if you don't have a bachelor's degree. In fact, like, like the, it's essentially you either work at a fast food restaurant or in a restaurant industry, or you have to get a bachelor's degree to have a job. That's kind of how like I was perceiving it as a kid. And even in high school, I kind of was still perceiving it, you know, the naivety of the human brain. It's like, a young kid can look really smart, but then a couple of things of how he sees the world and what he believes, it's like very, very simple. It's not very complex. And even though they appear really like smart and online, still there's a lot of naivety there. Well, acupuncture and being a chef, fallback plans. Never, I was like, they were just my fallback plans when I was going to college. And ultimately I went to college to do biomedical engineering. I thought that, I wanted to make prosthetic limbs and do be like something about like prosthetic limbs and things like that. But ultimately I remember I picked that because I thought it was cool. Not because I actually was like, Oh yeah, that's really, really, uh, I'm really passionate about that. Mm -hmm. But it got me in the door and then I changed majors and then I changed majors again and did two majors in one. Which I ultimately ended up with, what? Uh, personality psychology and environmental business economics. I mean, talk about two very far different spectrums. <laughs> That's you. Right? <laughs> very intriguing. But yeah. At that point, when I was, even when I was, uh, when I was like a junior in college, I was like, I wasn't even thinking about being an acupuncturist or thinking about acupuncture. So how'd you get there? When'd you, like, So when I went and got a, I went and had... Even though I had said, and I had said this repeatedly during college, like, just as a joke to people, even like, oh, I'd be a chef or an acupuncturist if I fail. Because, like, you know, my first two, my first year, like, I was, my first year, I failed. Like, I literally was on academic suspension. The second academic suspension, the one where if you don't get, like, a 3.7 in summer school, um... They basically, they don't let you take another semester. You have to take an entire year off, then they'll admit you for another summer session and you have to like get a certain GPA in order to be admitted, you know, but the academic advisory of the second time I was on was like, yeah, you, you're pretty much, we don't think you're even supposed to be in college at this point. Um, 
Anyway, I, in my senior year of college, I had an acupuncture treatment, the first acupuncture treatment of my life. And during that session, and, you know, for our listeners, just previous in the three-year segment of, you know, going to college and then getting this acupuncture treatment, there's certainly some, you know, very conscious awakening moments. But it was when I was on that table, I literally felt like I've never felt closer to God. And I just got this thing in my mind that I said, this is the most important thing that this is the most important thing. This is what matters. And I walked out of that treatment and I said, I'm just going to go like, I think I'll go be an acupuncturist. And, but see, I was, didn't say it as a, I'm going to go do it as a profession. Mm -hmm. I said, I need to learn this because at some point, Western medicine's probably going to fail my friends and family. Like, this is why I was even getting acupuncture, you know, for this issue with my shoulder. I'm like, and if that's the result, not just my shoulder feels better, but this is the closest I've ever felt to God in my whole life, you know, and like, like spirit, I'm like, for sure, this is, you know, let me go learn this. And just sort of blindly followed that research schools for the next two months, found one school, submitted one application. That was it. Mm-hmm. Like I visited or I had, I, I had three or four schools visited one school, then was like, that's it. I'm just going to go to this school. I didn't think I couldn't get in. I didn't think anything. I just was like, I didn't even submit applications anywhere. I just was like, I'm going to this school. So if they didn't accept me, which maybe one day we'll read my my uh, essay to be entered into the school. It's amazing that they accepted me. I'm sure it was a trip. What did it talk about trip? I think I was talking about all the tripping I had done and the different experiences. Oh, right. You talked about your psychedelic experiences. Yeah. And uh, how I understood the energetic state of the human body based on. So that's something I want to ask you. Is like, so during your time um, at acupuncture school, you were working in a clinic there. So you were treating people that were coming in with a whole array of chronic conditions and seeking help. So in terms of, because I know the rates of like people our age right now in their 30s that have chronic health conditions... And, you know, we've been through our own stuff in that regards. What do you, what would you say to people that are just like reaching points of frustration in their health process in terms of what you've seen, you know, your lens? I know that's a broad question, so take it whatever way you want. I would say to somebody, um, I would simply say, how much action do you want? to utilize, to empower yourself in your own healing process. Mm. That's kind of simply it. Like, I would just simply tell people, like, look, if you only want to get, like, 15% better, then do nothing I recommend or do nothing that anybody recommends and just just rely on somebody else outside of you to get you better. And, you know, you could probably get, like, 15% better, but... I would just educate them, like, educate anybody, you know, if you want to really, if you want an actual transformation, you have to have the actions. There's not going to be anything that these people are doing that create the transformative event that happens. You have to have the actions. Um, So, for example, if you have back pain after an acupuncturist helps your back, you know, you have to not be putting yourself through these crazy stress events that re-cause an injury to swell up quickly. It doesn't mean don't use your back. It's like, no, go research what are incremental things you could do to fit re- like every day, 45 minutes a day, a half hour a day, a little physical therapy. So in three months, you can act as if you don't, you never had an injury, you know? And 
it's kind of ties in there with, well, the next question is, what if that person doesn't believe they can even get, have a transformative healing event happen? What if they only believe they can get 15% better? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. based on everything they've seen in the different health fields, doctors they've talked to, their own lack of educating themselves about the, their own health issue. Do you I, think at any point people can choose to restructure a belief system and have 100% transformation? Yeah, I mean, we have stories of the most incredible transformative healings on planet Earth. There's there's stories oh, riddled all true. over the world. <laughs> and this is how you know it can happen to you. It's because... It's not even about beliefs. It's totally about the like the beliefs of the words. It's totally about the energetic resonance frequencies because it happens to a dog. A dog could be in the like, you know, or animals. They could just be in this utterly horrific state, but bring them around the right person. They will literally have a transformative healing as if they like... They were never in this crazy, you know, mm-hmm. on the edge of death. You've seen it in tons of videos of, you know, rescued this mo- mama right. dog with pups in the middle of the woods who was abused and this. And it's like now, four years later, it's like this happy dog runs up to people. And it's like, the, did the dog change its entirety of belief systems? Well, may, we could say yes, but in its our sort of state of understanding, there's a vibrational change in the entirety of the field in our, you know, the magnetics of that environment and that sort of just connection with the human that starts to repattern and that transformative healing event, it's in the present moment, those individuals they might have a story where there was trauma in it, but that trauma is not here and now. So there is transformative. It's transformed, you know. Right on. Yeah. And that's one of the things in acupuncture they tell you. They teach you right away. You know why acupuncture is existing and working beyond the placebo effect? Why? Because it works in animals. Hmm. That makes sense. You can't, the placebo effect is not something that animals exhibit. So the most ardent critics of acupuncture who go, oh, because they believe it, it works, it helps them, right? Mm -hmm. You say, yes, true. Mm -hmm. And also it helps animals. It sure does. And the dog isn't saying, oh, I believe this is going to help me, so it's going <laughs> to help me. Right. You know? And there's an entire profession of horse equine acupuncture that mm-hmm. is, or equine acupuncture, that's, you know, has all specialty products made for it and everything. And it's, you know, a very big known profession in those circles. Powerful. Right. Now, do you think there's typically sort of a healing journey accompanied with a consciousness unfolding? Like a physical healing? Well, or... some any type of healing. Yeah. I mean, like... Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's... Hmm... I guess the way I see it is, you know, human consciousness has been at this sort of point where it is transmuting its relationship to suffering. And I think that we've manifested so much dysfunction in our relationships and in the collective that there are these belief systems and patterning that gets people to live out in these pain bodies and the emotional body and 
the evolutionary process manifests on all levels. So it's like healing from your emotional traumas seems to be one component, eventually dropping that story. And the physicality of your ascension, there's, yeah, as your belief systems change, your physicality changes. And most of us have dysfunctional belief systems afoot, so we manifest physical disease mm. for sure. And it, you, because we're physical beings, we don't deal with things a lot of times until it hits physicality. And we can see it, and we can feel it, and we can touch it, and we go, oh shit, what the fuck is that? Right. Oh, that got my attention. Like, you know, we're reaching a point, though, where it's like a lot of us don't desire to have these, like, big in-your-face moments. We're going into, like, a more subtle way of being in that regard. Our senses are evolving, so it's like we don't need as loud of a message and i think as we come into harmony with our being you know as higher self descends into physical form which i believe is exactly what's occurring for a whole pile of people it's like you're not going to manifest the same physical symptoms that you've had as your belief systems progress right so like so in short, I don't think there needs to be this whole rigmarole in regards to healing the physical body, but I don't know anybody that's reached the other side in terms of like gaining some sort of wisdom or whatever in their lives without having gone through some physical trial. It seems. Right, right. So speaking of just generationally, right? Like I'll speak just within the generation of people like I know my peer circle mm-hmm. you know and i'm 33 i just turned 33 happy birthday thank you um i've seen that there is a tremendous consistency of sort of experience where whether or not you have the consciousness aspect online like most people have dealt with like some type of like really sort of transformative healing event in their life already by their 30s mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know it might not have been broken bones you know like like i've broke like maybe a finger or like crack something but like i'm not a broken bony type of person <laughs> who's got all this but like i've had the all types of very odd healing things you know so it's like what you're saying, there is a very real aspect of these events paired. And now in future podcasts, we'll be talking about reasonings behind that, which is, you know, different aspects of the physical tissue that hold. I I mean, I was going to say the word trauma, but like, I don't even want to say trauma because it's just like repatterning, like everybody has trauma it's like moving beyond that, which it's not to say that it doesn't hold trauma. It just, it holds stagnation, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. If if you have had a lot of trauma and like, you know, if you have had a lot of depression, anxiety, fear, if you've had even on the other side too much, um, you know, lust or like um you know self-gratification or these things like these get wired into your nervous system they get wired into your physical tissue and as we start to embark on these spiritual paths what do i say you have to go back through the pain doorway oh yeah yeah that's what it is and i mean I find most people in their 30s now, they've been through far less physical traumas of of generations past and they're in far more um, of these odd sort of thinking traumas where they're tra- traumatizing themselves or like these thinking stagnation cycles where they're stagnating themselves and their own thoughts. Not so much like... I mean, in the early 19, 
hundreds, mid-century, I mean, do we really believe that people were subjugated less to psychological abuse? Fuck no. Those right. were the emotional dark ages. People were super mean. Right. So in today's world, a lot of people are looking for victims to pair for their stories. Because on... they want to carry on the story of the suffering and keep it alive. Right. But the world is not nearly as hard as many of the forefathers in different generations. And their psychological pattern of is done at their own hands, at their own stagnant thinking cycles. I'm I'm speaking from my experience. I yeah, have yeah. had think stagnant thinking cycles that need to be moved along by either the universe, really good friends, you know, mm-hmm. just good conversations, deep insights, failures, even successes. Meeting something that you feel like, oh my God, I've been working for this and it should be so, like, like this is what the success I've been hoping for for the last three years, standing in it, you're like, I, this, I, I'm not even happy. Like, I don't even feel like I did anything. Like, mm. like, this moment was supposed to be filled with butterflies and rainbows and accomplishment and it's not. Even though people are giving me compliments around me you know lots and lots of very intriguing ideas of why that arises and in my experience it's due to me and my thought processes being stagnant sort of holding on to them my -hmm. own self very like like guarding them like don't you dare try to get at that (laughs) thought process it's mine <laughs> I won't give it up. <laughs> right. You can't take it from me. I know. And each iteration and cycle as we go through, we have to give up more and more and more in order to get the real goods of the good good, the crystallized good. Yeah, it's your presence. Your presence. Your presence of higher self is a joyful, radiant, boundful individual. That it is unidentified in time and space. It is just a radiant being of time space. How about it? We'll have to get more into the reasons. <laughs> that was that perfect. Was. That yeah. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't all right. much more. No. Uh, that was a perfect ending. All right. Well. Um, Cheers, maybe. Cheers.